Pai, and welcome to Total Rewind, a Filmmaker's Compass podcast where we take a look at movies 30 years and older and see if they still hold up. I'm D-Man, joined by CP. CP, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good, man. How are you? I'm a little pissed off because you're, uh, for anybody that's listening but not watching this episode, you are actually wearing a Cubs hat, and that upsets me. Well, so... I did it for two reasons. First of all, uh, <laughs> never miss an opportunity to uh, upset you about my love for the Cubs. Thank you very much. Um, but second of all, I mean, you know, it's John Hughes discussing a John Hughes movie without some tribute to Chicago. I just, it doesn't seem right. Doesn't I mean, seem I'm right. a huge, huge White Sox fan. Maybe that's contested by some people right now because I also like the Dodgers, but it still upsets me to see a Cubs hat, but you're correct. We are discussing a John Hughes film on Total Rewind this week, and that movie is The Breakfast Club. Yay! So I'm pretty pretty pumped to discuss this one because there's a few questions about The Breakfast Club that hopefully we can answer. All right, and I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, the first one is, so, you know, one of the things about The Breakfast Club is its enduring popularity. I'm very curious as to why this movie, why The Breakfast Club of all the 80s movies is kind of the one that is still around today. Some of the music's around today. It's on TV. You know, you can stream it or buy it. And it's still incredibly popular. So what do you think it is about the movie that has led it to be a classic, I guess? Yeah, that's a good question. First of all, get the facts out of the way. The Breakfast Club, written and directed by John Hughes from 1985. Just if you don't know the movie we're talking about, you know, maybe you could like Wikipedia it or Google search it or something because, uh, yeah, just get that well, out of the way. starring a lot of the members of the Brat Pack. So we might as well, you know, kind of get that out there too. I think it's Ali Sheedy, Emilio Estevez, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Michael Anthony Hall, yeah. which all have had great careers. They're all known for their 80s movies, particularly. 80s movies. Yeah. You know, you got a Emilio Estevez and the Mighty Ducks, but <laughs> 90s. Emilio! Different yeah. Movies, but still good. The Mighty Ducks, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they're all known for their kind of 80s teen classics. You know, there's yeah. St. Elmo's Fire, 16 Candles, there's Weird Science, there's a whole bunch of different movies. Pretty that in Pink. They, yeah, Pretty in Pink. They all kind of starred kind of opposite each other in different Ironically, things. a number of those movies actually are John Hughes films as well, so. Well, and so what's interesting is here you get almost like all of these 80s teen stars in one movie, in one room, really. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, obviously they're star power, the effect that they had on that generation that was growing up probably leads to why it's still as popular as it is. The song, Don't Forget About Me. I'm not actually sure if that's the title. That's just the chorus. I believe it's Don't You Forget About Me. Yeah. Don't you forget about me. All right. I can't sing, but I, I get um, you. Simple still mind. gets played on the radio. We get know? it. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. When that comes on K-Earth up here, <laughs> I always think of the Breakfast Club. We're kind of at a weird generation in the sense that I feel like, especially when I talk to people older than us, I remember growing up, you know, people older than us would always refer to the Breakfast Club as one of their favorite movies. It was one of the, the movies that they felt just got teenagers at the time. And I think that's probably part of the reason is, I mean, obviously the cast is great. There's a lot of 80s iconography. John Hughes, and we'll talk about later, you know, his use of universal themes. I think all those things led to it, but I think a lot of it is the time that this came out, this was a movie that if you were a Gen X kid <clears throat> in high school in the 80s, this movie spoke to you about understanding what it was like to be a teenager. 
Yeah. And then, like you said, like there's some things that it just, when you look at it, like watching the movie, something I took note of was the kids break rules or not even rules, but like norms. And it's always little things that they're doing. You know, I'm sure the production team is doing very consciously. Like they wear mismatched socks. You know, when uh, Ali Sheedy's character makes her sandwich, she puts sugar on bread and then <laughs> fills it up with Captain Crunch. But like no adult would do that, you know? Right. Yeah. And even the ones that would, you know, they're basically just getting mocked in like stepbrothers, right? Or parodied, you know, where it's like, hey, most adults don't do this. You know, Judd yeah. Nelson, he does things where like, I think he's walking down the hall and he like, you know, rips posters off and like knocks things over on the, the library he desk. He rips and, pages out of library books. Yeah, you know, just why? Just because. But like, the thing is, when you're a kid, right, it's like rebellious. Yeah. That that's like a, a the nature of teenagers. But when you're an adult, you're just an asshole. <laughs> like, you know, if True. he's like walking out, you know, and he's knocking all this crap over, everybody's not like, oh man, like that guy's cool. Everybody's like, that guy's a dick. You know, <laughs> but when you're a kid, you're, you know, kind of giving the finger to the man and everybody's like, that's, you know, that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, that was something that that caught my attention. Something else, too, is for it being a teen movie. And you brought this up right before we hit record. This movie's actually rated R. The Breakfast yeah. Club is rated R. And that was something I guess I always figured it was like a PG-13 movie, kind of like Ferris Bueller's or all those other John Hughes films. And so when I sat down to watch it, I was shocked that it was rated R because obviously, I mean, now we have the R-rated teen comedies and they're American Pie, they're super bad. And it's because right. there's nudity, they're so raunchy, they're so over the top. And this seems relatively tame to me for an R rate. You know, there is things, right? And especially you have to remember that this is a product of the 80s and not, you know, according to our current standards. There is foul language, cursing. Drug there use. is a lot of, there's drug use. There's a lot of sexual innuendo and even sexual conversation directly. True. Guess at the time, you know, maybe now we'd be like, ah, most of that's PG-13. As long as you're yeah, 13. Yeah. You're a teenager. You should know. <laughs> you shouldn't know, but you know. You know, all the parents out there want to think that their teenagers don't know about all this crap, but they didn't learn it from the movies. That's why I think that's the thing. They didn't learn it from the movies. That's why the movie is so relatable. That's why it's endured is because I think a lot of times you have people who are critical of films, right? Whether it's film violence or sex or whatever it is. They're like, oh, this and that. The irony is here, I think a lot of people saw their era reflected back at them. That's why it's relatable. And I mean, I say their era, but really like the kids and the themes reflected back are universal. They probably yeah. affect kids of all generations. You know, it's kind of, a, you get a little time capsule-esque. You get to see back into the 80s a little bit. One other so thing I did want to make note of, when we talk about it being an 80s film, it actually takes place primarily in like one room and then some hallways and like a janitor's closet or something they don't actually it's not like a ferris bueller's day off where they like go explore the city and you're getting to see what the 80s were like it's more the tone the music and some of those elements that uh you know are really representative of the 80s per se otherwise it's weird but they're in detention so as far as things like could you make the breakfast club today i'm assuming kids would not have their phones in detention right tech would be stripped away you know i don't see why detention would wouldn't be held in a library today because who's hanging out in the library? Just log on to your laptop or whatever and go find what you need. 
I don't know. I found that to be interesting because I was like, there's so many movies, right? Like, like one I always bring up is like Home Alone. Home Alone, the plot itself hinges on the idea that there was this storm the night before that like took out the, the phone line, you know? Yeah. And that's like why they can't get a hold of Kevin. But like that could, you'd have to come up with another plot device today. Who knows? Maybe he just breaks his phone or something, but you'd have yeah. to strip that type of thing away. And I think The Breakfast Club, because it's detention, does that well. And so it has somewhat of a timeless quality to it in addition to its kind of 80s tone i mean obviously a lot of this was done practically just a little history on the film the financers and producers did not want john hughes to direct this okay they thought that he did not have the filmmaking chops to pull this off which i in some ways you could see the challenge right it's it's heavily based on the ability of the director to pull a performance out of actors, which is hard enough, but then these are child, you know, teenage actors on top of it. So I see the skepticism. Essentially, John said, hey, look, this is going to be a million dollar budget. That's it. We're going to shoot most of it in one room. I can totally manage this. And they agreed. He pulled it off to great success. That's why we're talking about it now. Yeah. It makes me wonder how much of this whole one room detention concept was in the first draft of the screenplay versus, you know, the shooting drafts. Yeah. And I'm sure it changed. Obviously I mean, for budget reasons. Cause, cause but this also, is John Hughes. They could have snuck out and gone to like a Cubs game or anything, you know? Yeah. Like you mentioned, one of the crazy things is this movie's like, there's what, maybe the intro and the outro sequences where they go out to their cars and there's like two montages where they're running through the halls and then when they're dancing after smoking the weed. And other than that, it's literally carried by the actors and the dialogue. The rest of the movie, they're just sitting in various locations. Sometimes it's on bookshelves. Sometimes it's at the desk. Sometimes it's hidden away somewhere. But basically, like, the actors and the dialogue have to carry this story. So you can't, like you said, you can't cheat. Yeah. You can't use fast cuts and action and this and that to kind of mask if the story doesn't work, right? Yeah. Like, oh, it's still entertaining. Like, they had a great, you know, uh, Ferris Bueller was dancing down, you know, a main street in Chicago. Yeah. You're like, even yeah. if the rest of the movie, you're like, that was still fun and like i said other than those two montages that's it i mean that's a lot of heavy lift and yeah. really all the kids deliver in various moments throughout the film exactly so yeah i mean i have to give a you know a little tip of the cap to the performances here because i'm assuming too that you know while it's john hughes directorial debut a lot of these actors probably hadn't refined their craft or really starred in you know not his directorial debut oh yeah yeah sorry 16, 16 candles his second second yes there you go no you're right definitely something interesting there we just got to get into it. I mean, this film hinges on Hughes. It hinges on his writing and his directing. And I think part of the reason why we still love John Hughes movies today is his films. They're about these relatable characters and they're about relatable themes, right? We all grew up. We all knew what it was like as a kid and a teenager to feel the pressures put on you by society and your parents and juggling expectations versus finding your own identity. That's what this film is about. I think that's why one of the reasons why we're talking about it almost 40 years later. Yeah, you know, I would argue, really, John Hughes is thematically this movie, right, dealing with stereotypes. I think at the very beginning of the movie, they're listed as like a brain, you know, an athlete, a princess, a criminal, an outcast, right? Thematically, that's like hitting you over the head, right? But what John Hughes, and this isn't exclusive to Breakfast Club, what he does so well as a writer is often his themes, they're these universal themes, but they're quite obvious, yeah. right? They're, it's not being coy or, you know, there's a hidden message. You're like, no, I mean, <laughs> we know no, what you, Breakfast right. Club is about. But the thing he does so well is he 
writes relatable characters. It's funny because obviously this is the movie itself is deconstructing stereotypes. So he kind of gets to thump you over the head with it because that's yeah. a little bit of the point. When you when you write characters that are relatable, all of a sudden, right, just like for the characters as they get to know their fellow detention, detention mates. <laughs> yeah, their detention mates, they also start to see that there's more here, right? We can all relate. And I think they kind of flip it at the end. You know, the theme of the movie is stated through the uh, essay that's left behind. Essentially says all of us are each of those things in our yeah. own unique way and you know the world will always see us you know they'll see us the way they want to see us and that means that they have to put us in a box yep that's the way the world works and it's unfortunate especially when you're a kid you just don't operate in that space because you're a teen and you're rebellious and you want to forge your own identity the other theme that I think he deals with really, really strongly, and I'll throw it to you for this one, is that this idea, and this again is, is kind of prominent in most of John Hughes' films, but this element of childhood that is lost oh, as you transition yeah. into yeah. adulthood. And they yeah. actually discuss it. They literally have a discussion about this in The Breakfast Club where they kind of, they're talking about the expectations put on them by their parents specifically. Yeah. You know, how it's it's hard to break free from that. When they say break free, right? Sometimes it's getting attention. Sometimes it might be suicide, whatever yeah. these kids are dealing with, right? It's just interesting because that theme of losing something, it's so true. We do lose yeah. something when you go into adulthood, you know? You can't just do certain, it's kind of like I was saying earlier, like they kind of break rules or social norms. When you're an adult, like you just can't get away with that crap. Like yeah. when I was a kid, you know, we used to go like light fireworks off in like an abandoned cul-de-sac. You know, if you go do that now, everybody's like, you know, you left a mess or why are you being so loud? This and that. When you're a kid, everybody's like, ah, stupid kids. <laughs> you know and something that john hughes does so well is it's kind of weird that as a grown man he was able to tap into this childhood conflict that we all have growing up as kids we know that we're growing up on one end of the extreme some people are totally looking forward to it on the other end of the extreme people are completely dreading it most people are kind of living in this state of trying to understand it and comprehend it and control what you can yeah part of growing up is wondering what you're going to be like and looking to your parents and, and saying, do I want to be like that? Do I not want to be like that? More importantly, I think part of the reason why we talk about this 40 years later is once we're on the other side of that and we have made that transition into adulthood, mm -hmm. Hughes pulls us back and puts us back in that, that high school seat again. And we remember what it was like. Yeah, Dread growing up, as you said, in every single John Hughes film, he brings this element up of when you get down to it, age is just a number. To quote Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. Yeah, well, I mean, even looking at something like Vacation and Clark Griswold, you know, here's this grown man, this family man, who's trying to recapture mm -hmm. that feeling from his own childhood and exactly. share that with his family, right? That's what Vacation, or what Clark is really about, whether it's Christmas Vacation or Vacation, whatever. He's about trying to give his family that old-fashioned Christmas, right? Yeah, or yeah. the road trip that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. But again, it's John Hughes trying to tap into that spirit and in this case, he's an adult, not a kid, but it's still right there thematically along with most of his works. I think that's why they endure. And I think that's why we love them. I mean, if we didn't love them, we would not be talking about John Hughes movies on the show. Yeah. And this is what our second or third John Hughes movie now. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I mean, and we did vacation, we did Ferris Bueller, and now we're doing Breakfast Club. So, you know, if you're interested in, in hearing some more discussion about 
John Hughes films, you can always go back to our playlist and, and find those <laughs> older episodes. Yeah, I mean, so when you look at, yeah, Breakfast Club, like the themes are what really stick out. Stereotypes, transitioning into adulthood, and then really just the expectations that are put on teenagers by both society and parents. And those well, are I universal. Think, Every I, teenager will go through that. And what I think <laughs> he does so well with illustrating that theme is every kid if you have cousins or nephews or friends that are still, or kids of friends who are in high school or college or whatever, you talk to them and they have this sense of, no, you don't understand it. It's never been like this. Right, and, right. But the funny thing is everyone has had those pressures. And what he does so well in this film is illustrating the pressures may all feel the same, just the sources of those pressures are different, but that doesn't mean that any one of them weighs more than any other. I think that's one of the most beautiful things that he is able to illustrate for the, the audience when you watch this film. Yeah, Everybody's I, got their problems. It's just at first glance, no one realizes it. And it works really well. And I think the ability to tap into those universal themes is what makes this movie timeless classic in a way where I don't know if Breakfast Club will ever go out of style. Probably not. I cannot think that it would. I do want to ask you, did you ever... <laughs> Did you have Saturday detention? No, I don't think so. You were good. <laughs> he never. I'm trying to remember. Like, you I never don't, taped someone's butt cheeks together. I think the only time I ever went into, I actually got in trouble for this. In high school, I was on like the news team at school. Oh, so yeah. Like run around for a period and have to find stories. And so we got this idea that we were going to sneak a camera into detention. And I don't, I don't know, like catch some kind of like behind the scenes scandal. So I went into detention with another guy. Yeah. And we, we had a camera like we cut a hole in the bottom of a back this is real guerrilla journalism right and here. put the camera there and then we walked in and put it on the table and after about a minute the guy's like i don't know why you guys are here like just get out or we'll actually send you to detention so that was my only trip <laughs> like, it didn't go very well i didn't go take the camera story. back and then get right back here because now you're in <laughs> but that was about it no, i mean like i saturday detention for us like i remember i think it was uh sean and i we ended up having it was called press passes because we were on the yearbook naturally we abused that power and we oh, got fast surprise food. dustin surprise yeah so press passes would get you out of whatever class you were in so you could go cover like right if there was a rehearsals practice for sports different things that you might need to get photos for or get quotes from because it only happened at that time so you could get out of class well of course mm -hmm. we went and got like taco bell and so like we got in trouble and we got detention i can't remember if it was on saturday or not but i was gonna say at the beginning of breakfast club he mentions that their detention is eight hours long. Oh, that's I was insane. like, I think ours was like four at most. And they certainly didn't want you to stay for lunch. Yeah, no, I can't. The only time I remember going to school on a Saturday is you may remember this when we were in middle school, we had too many snow delays one year. So they oh, made yeah. us do a regular day of school on a Saturday. Well, it's weird now I'm tangenting slightly, but it is interesting because when I got older back in the Midwest, they actually transitioned out of snow days. What they would do is they would build days into the academic calendar. So like, like if you didn't have any snow days that year, then throughout the rest of the year, you'd get like a random Tuesday off or like a random <laughs> Friday and they would just build them in, which was great because they used to either make it Saturdays or tack it on to the end of the year. Yeah, it was terrible. Hated anyway, it. interesting little tangent there. So did you know this? When I was reading about the production of film, mm -hmm. two interesting facts jumped out at me. First of all, 
Hughes was working on this the same time that he was working on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That is actually crazy when you think about it. First of all, because the studio had already expressed <laughs> that they were uh, a little hesitant about John Hughes directing the film anyway. Now, I don't know if that was related at all to being in production on another movie, but I mean, most people can't even make one movie great when they're <laughs> all yeah, their right? attention's on that. And the here he is making two 80s classics. Yeah, right. The second thing I learned is the school that he shot The Breakfast Club in is the same school that he shot Ferris Bueller's Day Off in. Like, I mean, we could kind of figure that. Yeah. Interesting in the sense that it was that same one location for both. No, I have an, I have an interesting ask. Clark Griswold is from Chicago. He wears Bears hats. Most of these movies take place in Chicago. You know, Home Alone is in Chicago. Now, I know John Hughes, he grew up there. Is Do you know, is there any specific reason why he wanted it to always be Chicago? Or is it just, you know, a love of the city? I actually did read something once. Uh, obviously, he loved Chicago. He knew Chicago. Part of it was the fact that he hated studios and he hated the studio involvement oh, so okay. much that he thought... If I go to New York, the studios are there. If we shoot in LA, the studios are there. If we go to Chicago, they actually have to make an effort to get onto the set and harass us. So we've kind of bought ourselves a little bit of interest. I wondered if there was any sort of production reason. I didn't know if it would be like city credits that they would, you know, or tax breaks or whatever. I was curious though, if there was any other reason. Everything people, is in Chicago. For yeah, them. everything's there. I'm like, that's like a staple of John Hughes film. So I was like, does he have some connections or whatever it is? Yeah. That actually is that's fascinating to me very smart yeah if you don't want producers or people like meddling on your on your set like you said coming down and you know hey i need you to come up come upstairs i gotta talk to you you're like well if you want to do that you either call me or i gotta fly there yeah right or, or you gotta fly here i could see that actually working really well yeah smart tip so life hack for all you aspiring filmmakers out there make your movies outside of la as far as you possibly can <laughs> And no one's going to bug you. It's Last funny, though, because here we are, two Midwest guys that want to be filmmakers. We moved to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So last random thought, and this actually blows my mind, too. When the film debuted, obviously it was a success. The million dollar budget, it ended up making about 52 million. So yeah, we can call that Ooh. a success. Yeah, that's a lot of money. But it premiered at number three on the weekend that it opened. Do you have any idea of what the two movies that topped it were? I don't. Because this, this was 85, right? Yeah. So I, no, I I'm think not this sure. is cool because there are two huge, what I would consider 80s icons. Number two, the Harrison Ford film, Witness. Oh yeah, okay. And number one, the classic 80s comedy, Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy. Oh yeah, and Beverly Hills Cop was, I think it was one of the highest grossing movies in the 80s. I think so. It's, it's on that list, probably top 10. I'd bet yeah. it's up there. So the comp, that, what a weekend. Yeah, I know. Like, you know? <laughs> imagine you're like, what do I want to go see in the movies? Before? And they didn't have movie pass or the AMC stubs or whatever. So no, <laughs> they had to pay for each one. Like we've talked through the movie, why it matters, why it still sticks around today. We talked lovingly about John Hughes. Now, my question to you is this. Sure. Obviously, we know the Gen Xers opinion on this. And I guess this is going to lead into our final questions for the episode. Where do you think this ranks in terms of teen films? Because basically this is on, on all the lists, right? This is very, if it's not number one, it's near the top, not just teen films, but we yeah, know high school films. Is. I mean, obviously, like we mentioned, I'd probably have Ferris Bueller on there. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Super Bad, maybe American Pie, you know, from these different kind of generations. But I mean, I do feel that like the themes in Breakfast Club do speak to everyone 
despite which generation you're from or what year it is. And I do feel like it, everybody should check it out. It reminds me of when you're a kid, right? Every generation is like, you know, we have to stop bullying, right? But bullying yeah. is always, you know, unfortunately going to be around. Really, it's just kids testing power and acting out in rage. And that will never go away, yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe they're not stuffing kids in lockers, but they're sending mean instant messages or DMs. The bullying changes, but it yeah. still happens. You know, these themes in the Breakfast Club, getting to know your fellow classmates and not participate in the societal structure of putting people in a box, because we all do it. We do it. Sometimes we do it subconsciously. Sometimes you literally have to check a box on a form. It just helps deconstruct that. I think they ask, they have this very important conversation, which is when detention's over and we go back to school on Monday, are we still going to be friends, right? And that is the crux of the film. And it's the question that we all have to ask ourselves is sure, yeah, if you lock us away in a room together, we can get to know each other. But can we break those pressures, those things that hold us back they, they keep saying, right, if, yeah. if Molly Ringwald's character was walking with Judd Nelson's, she's like, you would have to turn around and tell your friends that the only reason you're with me is because you're either trying to sleep with me or you've already did. You would never just be friends with me and it wouldn't it wouldn't work. I think that's the, the universal question that every teenager has to ask. Another great teen movie that probably makes this list, we'd have to rank it somewhere as Mean Girls. Oh, yes. And Mean Girls deals with that same idea of having these different cliques. And I mean, they literally have the cafeteria scene where they like literally- Different cliques. The different tables, the lunch tables. But like, that's never going away. Yeah. It just won't. It's, it's this universal thing about growing up, finding your own way and your tribe. I think even though that is important in its own unique way, because that will never go away, the importance of the Breakfast Club is for us to be able to see and deconstruct that everybody's going through it. Everybody has their shit. We're a lot more alike than that box would tell us. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it. if you're, if you're putting it on that list, I think it's that probably for me, it's probably top three. I think especially if you are a teenager, it's incredibly relatable, but there's a good lesson in there. And then when you're an adult and we've all kind of assimilated into that adult culture, sometimes it's nice to watch that movie and realize like, I mean, that's a choice and we can break out of it too. Last question I have for you, by the way, random side, how 80s is it that the teacher has, or that the principal or whoever has a calendar in his office with a girl in a bikini? Never get away with that today. No. Like never. Actually, Among I mean, other things that you'd never get away with in this film. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say too, like, it's weird because we've entered a, a place now in our society where I think, you know, for, I mean, like you go all the way back to like early 20th century, you know, 19th century, like teachers used to have sticks and they would hit kids all the way to where here we are in the 80s and you have teachers right people tell success stories now you know they're successful and they're on youtube doing a podcast right and they're like yeah my teacher told me i wouldn't amount to shit you know <laughs> and here's this guy like you're nothing you're a bum go find out where you'll be in five years it's funny because in today's world if a teacher were to talk to a kid like that they might get fired I'm not saying teachers don't talk to kids like that. They probably do. But if someone recorded it or you were actually called out in some way, I think, yeah, probably wouldn't sit well these days. You know, that's another thing that it's like, can't really do. You also, you know, you can't smoke marijuana in the library. Yeah, it probably doesn't do it real well. So question, this is what I wanted to get at. All right. Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller. Which one do you think is a better film? 
they're, they're both actually really great. I mean, Ferris Bueller at face value is way more fun, but I think the themes and stuff from Breakfast Club are a little bit more universal. And those are the ones that I think endure. And I'm not saying, I mean, there's a lot, we, we deconstructed it, you know, on the Ferris Bueller episode where we get into, you know, the expectations and all this different stuff from Ferris Bueller. And there's a great lesson in there too, right? You said yeah. it earlier. Life moves pretty fast. Yeah. So like, take a second, smell the road, like enjoy. Ferris Bueller, the movie itself is definitely way more fun. Like you said, they're out and about, they're going to Cubs games, they're at the parade, they're driving this nice car, they're at, you know, pretending they're rich at fancy restaurants and doing all these fun things. But yeah, I think, you know, the the importance of Breakfast Club would probably put it above for me. So I know, I know you disagree. Oh, I totally disagree. Totally <laughs> disagree. Ferris Bueller all day. I think it's the better movie. I think it's the more powerful movie because we all need to remember to take a break. Yeah. I mean, we should remember to, uh, you know, not put people in a box, but it's going to happen anyway. And some people are more aware of it than others, but I think everybody needs to be reminded and Hughes punches us in the face and is like, Hey, skip a day. You need it. Both great. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, Ferris Bueller is definitely more fun. This one, there's a lot of crying. There's surprisingly a lot of crying in breakfast club. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. So I think almost all of them cry at one point, except for Judd Nelson. I don't think he cries. And uh, the vice principal. Yeah. There's the parents that like pick up the kids, but like the cast for this movie is like six people, you know, or the yeah. janitor, like seven. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like really no wonder crazy. it was made for a million dollars. It's like one location with seven people. And they're like, we could do this whole thing in like three weeks. <laughs> and dude, I, I, I found it interesting because I was doing a little research myself, like something about Breakfast Club that I found fascinating was they actually filmed it in chronological order. Oh, really? For the That's most part. Yeah. Now, I don't know. If that's just because of the convenience of being on that set, it's like, we might as well move along. Mm-hmm. Most movies don't get filmed that way. You know, just no. doesn't work. If I throw it over to you to answer the question, I think you guys know where I stand. Do you think that Breakfast Club still holds up? I still think it holds up. I still think it's a great teen coming of age film. As I think I've told you, I feel like for our generation, not being, you know, teenagers when this film came out, I don't think it speaks to us in the same way that it does our predecessors. You we know, weren't even born. That's why I think films like <laughs> Mean Girls or Superbad are more impactful because when we watch those films, I'm like, no, that's what high school was like for us. Side um, note, we also did an episode on Superbad, so go back and check it out. I think one of the problems going forward is kids today. Like if you were to show this film to your kid now, while the themes are universal, I think I almost wonder if they'll get too caught up in the fact that that's just not what high school's like anymore. Yeah, maybe. Jocks aren't jocks in the same ways and bullies aren't bullies in the same way and nerds especially when you compare to something like high school musical yeah right like (laughs) high school is a very different place apparently than when we or the people before us were there so that's that's all i don't know that it holds up in the same way because i think the relatability is what made people love this film so much and latch on to it well we'll see time plays out you know does it stick around or fade out to be a relic of its time yeah we will see so i'll also throw it over to our uh, our listeners our viewers let us know do you think that breakfast club still holds up where do you think it ranks among john hughes films as well as high school teen movies send us your list we would love the feedback and to keep the conversation going you can subscribe to the podcast on apple podcasts as well as at the google play store you can find us on spotify and uh, many other podcast directories as well as subscribe on youtube so we're listed on all the major social media channels all you have to do is go type filmmakerscompass.com and we have all of our links be sure to uh, find us there as well now cp i'll throw it over to you take us out awesome well thank you for tuning in this week and talking about The Breakfast Club with us. In the meantime, we'll see you next week. Until then, keep watching movies.